bless you. God bless you. Turn around, just greet each other. Welcome. Look around, just acknowledge each other in the house. You're welcome. So welcome the people watching live stream at home. There's nowhere better to be on a Sunday morning to praise in the Lord. The reason being we've survived the week. Amen. We've got through the week, so we're standing on a threshold of a new beginning. Last week we were seeing new beginnings. God always does new beginnings in and through our lives and in the world that we experience. Praise God. Amen. It's good to be here. Welcome Ezra next week. We want to pray for him later on. He's another challenge. Uh, looking forward to it for another milestone in a journey to, to world glory. Praise God. And Jabs, welcome as well. Good to have you here. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. So no further ado, I, I just want to say as well, remember the Easter play coming up as well. If you want to invite your friends, your neighbours, please feel free to do so. Your work colleagues, it's going to be impacting. It's quite powerful. It brings to light, uh, brings to the reality of what the, this season's really all about. Easter time changed the whole world. That event changed the whole world as it was known. The world's never been the same since the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. This world has not been the same. The calendars have been changed. Uh, people's outlook and life have been changed and so forth. And it's still changing today. We're seeing revival around the world. Amen. God is still enthroned. Praise the Lord. So with no further ado, I want to just touch on the message today, which is quite a challenging message because I'm touching a subject that's quite sensitive. It's about relationship, which is a sensitive thing. But when I read the verses, it'll be more clearer. And I want to lay down two, two verses. Two, verses for the foundation for the message. This is Romans chapter 9 verse 13. So let's stand for this reading. And I want you to think about the message, engage in the message, participate with the message, see what it's actually saying to you. Because God is using strong words through these passages. And we, sometimes the behavior of many people today is irreverent in relation to the word of God. It's the word of God's been despised and being undermined by the way people trying to accept things that are the total antithesis of the word of God. So I want to come back to biblical values. This is uh, Romans chapter 9 verse 13. I want you to think about this because I want to explain this. I want to engage in this. It's powerful and very profound. This is Romans. Paul writing to the Roman church says this. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Praise the Lord for that word. Please take your seats. Just one verse. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Strong words to attribute to God, to say that God hates someone. Oh, we don't want to hear that in this generation because God is love. God loves everyone and everything without condition. Then if that's the case, why did God put conditions on coming into the kingdom of God? When Jesus was inviting the people to follow him, he didn't say, just come any which way. He said, the first thing you do before you can follow me, you have to do something. You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And it wasn't any which way is acceptable. When Jesus went into an environment... 
He left it, impacted that environment. He did not change. He remains the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the environment he went to had to change. One or another had to accept him or reject him. Paul says, to some, wear an aroma of life. To others, wear an aroma of death. Not everyone, we're not going to be the flavor of the month for everyone. In life, if you haven't learned it yet, some people will not like you. You may have not discovered that yet. You're not <laughs> the flavor of the month. Some people may not like you. Some people may not even know why they don't like you. There's something where there's a vibration. Some people come into the room, the room lights up. Some people come into the room, the room becomes darker. It's not always as things are. So God, to attribute, to put these words in God's mouth. As it's written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What's behind this? What does this actually mean? Well, Paul, through his ministry, he was unfolding, taking the layers of the mysteries of the word of God to show us exactly what God means in these passages, in relation to these passages. And goes right back to Genesis, because this is Old Testament scripture he's quoting from. In fact, he's quoting from the last book that is in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, which is recognized universally as the last book of the Old Testament that, 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 that comes straight through 400-year period, comes into the, the, the Gospel of Matthew as we have the New Testament canon. And that's the, the, the one before and after. And this is what's quoted in Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The last book, this is what the last book quotes. Let me just read these verses. Let's just take a bit of time. Just look at this and reflect. When you go home, reflect because it's talking about your mortality and your life and your, and, and your relationship with God and with each other. The burden of the word, the Lord, the burden of the, 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 burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word Malachi means my messenger. And verse 2 says this, I have, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. So he says, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. They were brothers. Esau was the older brother. Jacob was the younger brother in Jewish tradition is that the elder son always gets two portions of the heritage more than his younger brother. He gets the bigger portion of the inheritance. But yet God contradicts this principle, this process, this legality and says, I'm going to push that aside and I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to go according to the conventional, to the method, but I'm going to do something different. And there's a reason why I can do this, because my blessing is not dependent on just your status, it's dependent on your attitude. Your attitude brings, determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your, your outcomes. We have this kind of uh, uh, mentality uh, in this generation. We feel we, we, we entitlement mentality. We're entitled to everything. But we've got to merit the blessings of God in different ways by accepting him on his terms, not in our terms. So Paul writing about, I'm, I'm re, uh, unfolding this mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 8, says, says this, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's saying he wants to reveal the deeper hidden mysteries of the word of God. And as Jesus said, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which is powerful and which is amazing. Amen. So let's see what's happening here. Why would God love someone and hate someone else? And what merits, what qualifies us to receive the love of God? And what's really all this about? And this finds the attitude, find, this finds its origin right at the beginning in Genesis. In relation to two men, brothers, one was called Cain and one was called Abel. And it stems right back from the beginning. After Adam and Eve transgressed God's instruction law and they were expelled out of the Garden of Eden, they have two sons. One is Cain, the firstborn, the elder son, that according to the Jewish tradition, he receives the bigger portion of the inheritance. And then he had Abel, the younger son. And they all both offered gifts to God. And I want to read this narrative because I want to, I want to get somewhere to show you exactly what's happening here, what this passage actually means, okay, if, if you're patient with me. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, this is what we read here. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Both offer a gift to God, Cain from the earth, Abel from the livestock. We're told Abel's gift was received, Cain's gift was rejected. It's not how much you give to God that pleases God. It's the way you give it to God that God acknowledges it and receives it. You can give him a billion dollars, a billion pounds, and he may reject it. Because you cannot buy God, you can't compromise God. You can't hold God to ransom. God is, transcends any material things. So you're only giving him what he allowed you to have in the first place. And so it doesn't matter how much you give it to him. It's the way you give it to God. If you give him two mites, the woman went to the, the, the treasury and gave two mites in the offering. And Jesus commended her and says, this woman has given more than all of you. All your riches you put into the treasury, what the two mites are worth more than everything. Because the two mites, the value of the two mites is dependent on how we give it. He gave it through love, through humility, through sacrifice, from the heart. We give it from our abundance, but she gave it from her heart. And God accepts that and honors that and commends that above everything else. I wish I'm speaking to someone. So when Cain offered it, he felt he had to give it because it's something you have to do. But when Abel gave it, he gave it from the heart. And God honored that because God sees the heart. He doesn't see the external things. He sees what's happening internally in the heart. The apostle Paul tells us we can give all we have. We can offer it all. But if we've done it without love, it means nothing. It's, it's worthless. I wish I'm speaking to someone. So God rejected Cain and Cain became angry. And that exposes what was in his heart. He was passion, he was pride, he was arrogance. Why do you not accept my gift? Why don't you accept me? Because, you know, I tried to influence, tried to uh, buy you, tried to manipulate you. But God is beyond that. He, he sees exactly why we do what we do and the reasons behind it. 
what sometimes, oftentimes we give to God in relation to what we can get back. This is what the prosperity gospel is all about. Give me this and you get a hundredfold back. No, you give it without expectation and God will bless you in a billion ways that you don't even understand. You don't even comprehend because when you serve the God, the blessings of God is not determined on material things, it's determined on quality of life. I wish I was speaking to someone. Hallelujah. So it's a challenge here. This is the challenge is that uh, we're told Cain's gift is rejected and Abel's accepted. Two brothers, same parentage, but different experiences and different outcomes. Praise God. See, so, but embodied in that dialogue exchange with Cain and Abel and God and so forth, there's a metaphor there. There's a spiritual lesson to be drawn there. And we're going to get to it. I'm not going to give you the answer straight away. I'll give you the, give you the revelation straight away. I want to help make you wait for it. Wait upon the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Because God, we're told, declares the end from the beginning. But this is, this is a window looking ahead to what will happen in our lives. Because we are represented in Cain and Abel. We reflect one or the other. And how do we engage with God? So Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, God tells us this, Isaiah records this. He says, verse 9, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasures. Because the old, there's many metaphors in the Old Testament that express the economy, the, the method, the mechanism of God's salvation into the world. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, and he, and he, and he uh, separated the days. He began with nighttime coming into daytime. And before we come to God, we come from the darkness into the light. We come from ignorance to understanding. We come from death to light. Amen. So we come from a place of disadvantage and because of him, he becomes the bridge to take us out of that situation to put us in a better place. The cross becomes the ladder to heaven. The cross becomes the bridge to take us out of darkness into light. I wish... And that's why it's recorded every day, concludes, every day concludes by saying this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 5. It says, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. In fact, for the Jewish community, they, the new day begins at the evening. Evening is the start of the new day. Start nighttime coming into day. We are coming, we come into the day now because Jesus is the day the Lord has made that we are rejoicing and that we are glad in it. And when Jesus came, the prophecy was fulfilled that was recorded in Matthew chapter 4 verse 16. It says this, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. So when Christ came, it was the evening of human history. So before one comes, according to the Bible, to God, we're still in the darkness, in the shadow of death. That's why David says, Ye that walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The shadow of death is this world that is passing by, because it's under a shadow. It's only Christ's light illuminates and disperses those shadows that we see clarity and we can walk in the light of day and life. I wish... Let's, let's take this somewhere. And so through the scripture, the Old Testament, as a pattern appears that God always prefers the younger son 
over the older son. The pattern follows. We see this pattern unfolding in the scripture. It starts right back from Cain and Abel. Because when Abel, when Cain killed his brother out of jealousy, Adam and Eve had their other son who Seth. And he takes on the lineage where the Messiah will come from. Or David will come from. Yeah? And he's still the younger one. Because God prefers the younger above the older. Why? There's a spiritual metaphor and a reason behind this. And this pattern is seen right through the scripture. And then we come to Jacob and Esau. So Jacob is the younger, but God prefers Jacob above Esau, his older brother, which enrages his older brother. And wants to kill his brother the same way that, that, that Cain killed actually Abel. Esau wants to kill his brother Jacob. And Jacob has to appease him by giving him gifts to reconcile with him. Then we have, we have his son Joseph, who's the youngest, his sons, 11 sons at the time of, 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 of Jacob, his 11 sons, his youngest son, which is Joseph, he prefers him above his older sons. His older sons are enraged and want to kill him. You see the pattern following here? Those that God loves, everyone wants to kill. So there's a spiritual health warning, don't be loved by God. Yeah, so they wanted to kill him. In fact, they tried a Jewish step since his lost. Just sell, let's sell him to to the Ishmaelites. Let's sell him into slavery. Don't kill him. Don't have his blood on our hands. Just sell him. Get rid of him. But they didn't know they were sending him to become their salvation. He became the seed that became the fruit that fed them and saved them from their famine, and ultimately saved them from themselves. So the evil they tried to do, God turned it for good. Joseph concludes by saying, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So when God's in the equation, whatever comes against you, God will use it to prosper you, to promote you, to bless you, to make you fruitful. Hallelujah, praise God. So we see this pattern following right through, even to the point, Joseph's sons. Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and, and uh, who's his other son? Who's it? Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim means being doubly fruitful in the, in the place of my affliction. Manasseh means forgetfulness. Manasseh is the eldest son. Ephraim is the younger son. I wish I was speaking to someone. And when he takes them, his sons to Jacob, his father, to bless, the right hand is the first blessing. When he brings his sons, he puts his Manasseh to the right, he brings Ephraim to the left because he expects his father to stretch his hands out and bless Manasseh. And Ephraim, the right hand is the first blessing, the left hand is the second blessing. Well, uh, Jacob does something unconventional. He crosses his hands and he puts the right hand on Ephraim and puts the left hand on Manasseh. There's a crossover. And Joseph says, you're doing it wrong, Father. You can't see clearly. He says, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm blessing the younger one, not the older one. He's taking the first blessing because it's in the cross that you have salvation. It's the cross that the strongholds come tumbling down, praise God. I'm blessing him through the power of the cross. Come on, I wish I'm speaking to someone. Hallelujah. And we're taking this journey. So God prefers the younger which is powerful. And we see this crossing over into the New Testament. We see that the, the father in the, has two sons, 
He has an elder son and a younger son. The younger says, give me, he says, give me my inheritance. I want to leave, the, I will leave your house. I want to go and, and, and find myself and, and enjoy myself and express myself. But the father says, dude, you've got to deny yourself. You think you're a prisoner here, but in this house, thinking you're a prisoner, you're free. When you think you're free, that's when you're a prisoner. And he goes to the far country. I don't want to touch on all the, all the narrative because it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Read, please, when you go home, read the, the story of the prodigal son. Because in that parable, there's not one prodigal son, there's two prodigal sons. The son who re remained in the house was more prodigal than the one who had left the house. Because he was hard-hearted. And when his son came back, he was miserable. Because the, the spotlight wasn't on him anymore. He went back to the younger son. And he gave him a new garment. He says he gave him the first garment. That which he lost at the beginning, he restored again. And God's a God of restoration. Doesn't matter how far we go. When we decide in our hearts to go back to God, to actually repent, come to ourselves, and acknowledge our failings, our shortfalls, God will always receive us. That's the God of the again. And he gave him the first garment. He restored him. The garments of salvation. He killed the fatted calf, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is slain for you and I to come back to the Father's house. And again, the younger one is preferred. What's happening here? Why are you, why are you compromising? Why are you contradicting your law? Why is there paradox in the Word of God? Why is it that he prefers the, the younger one over the older son? Very interesting. Well, these two sons, as I said, represent us in our generation. But more than that, they speak even beyond representing us because one would say, well, I might identify with Abel. I might identify with Cain. That's not the case because each of us are both these sons. You are both these sons. There's something about us that God loves and sometimes there's something about us that God hates. The Apostle Paul tells us, which is quite interesting and quite powerful and profound, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says this. He says, therefore we do not lose heart. Watch this. It says, it says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Meaning we're two people. We've got an outer and we have an inner. There's a struggle, warfare between the two. One wants to overcome the other. The outer, the outer man wants to suppress the inner man. Wants to, wants to try and suppress our spiritual development and growth. And the Lord comes against that kind of way of thinking and doing things. There are things the Lord does not like. And he does want us to change. And we say God loves us unconditionally. No, he wants us to change. He wants us to reflect his love into the world. There are things the scripture clearly says that God does not like. This is, let me go to Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. And I want to see if we identify with any of these traits. Quickly do something about them and erase them. You know the last week we had that board and I raised all the things of the old ways because God is doing a new thing. That's when we need to erase them. This is, what the, this is what Solomon tells us in his wisdom. These six things the Lord hates. Wow, he uses a strong word, hates. Yes, even, yes, seven are an abomination to him. He says there's some things that he doesn't accept. He won't accept. The first message that Jesus preached was get right with God. Repent. The Greek word medanoian, which means to turn around. 
change the direction you are going, turn around. In fact, it's not a 360 degree turnaround. If you go do a 360 degree turnaround, you're ending up back where you started from. It's got to be a 180 degree turnaround, complete face the opposite direction, put behind the things that you were going toward before. There's things, there's things in our life we have to adjust, we have to change to empower us. People don't understand there's a spiritual principle that is either empower us or disempower us. We become disarmed spiritually when we compromise certain things. And this is what the Lord is saying through Proverbs. He says, verse, verse 17, he says this, watch this. A proud look. God does, does not like pride. Why? Satan, who was Lucifer, in according to the scripture in Ezekiel, he's the anointed cherub. You know that Lucifer, Satan, was one of, one of the, the top, med, top angelic beings in heaven. Do you know that? He had direct access to God. And pride was found in him. And that's what broke that relationship. And that's why the Lord comes against pride. A lying tongue. Lying, he does, God comes against lying because God is truth. Amen. Jesus said to the, in, in John chapter 8 verse 58, watch this. John chapter 8 verse 58 says this. Jesus said to I shall say to you before Abraham was I am. He is the I am. Amen. He's the I am. He's the truth. He says, I mean, John chapter uh, 14, verse 6, he says this. Jesus said to, the, to him, I am the way, the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except from me. So God comes against falsehood. Let me come back to Proverbs very quickly. A proud look aligned to hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. You might not find yourself guilty with the first few, but perhaps if we cause division amongst brethren, God doesn't like this. God is a peacemaker. He wants to bring unity. He doesn't want to bring division. He wants to bring healing, not hurt. We've got to be responsible how we interact and engage with each other. Because we may think now we get away with it, but time will expose it. I wish I'm speaking to someone. Amen. Praise God. So there are things that the Lord does not like. So these two aspects of our being, the outer and the inner, there's a struggle taking place within us, each one of us, on a daily basis. And often the Apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to save me from this, this confusion? Thank God, thank God for Jesus Christ. He can intervene in a situation and change things. And it's Jesus Christ intervening in our lives that changes everything. So we're represented in these two, the old and the young. What is the old? The old represents the old man. The old ways, before coming to Jesus Christ, we have an old mindset. And this is what Paul actually qualifies through his word. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, this is what Paul tells us. Knowing, he says, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, which is powerful. Then he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, put off that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. 
So we need to put the old mindset off. We need to take the old mindset away. And what's the, what's the solution? What's the answer? The answer is to put the new man on. Put the, put the mind of Christ, which is, which is transformation. And this is what the, the antithesis is. The, 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 the struggle is between these two, the old and new. And we've got to be careful we do not relapse, go back to the old way of thinking and the old way of behaving. Amen? Because as I said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. He doesn't like the old ways. He wants us to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 says this. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. What did Solomon say? God does not like lies. So we put off the old man since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We put on the new man. Who's the new man? Jesus Christ. We have this mind which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 he says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, yet you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed from, by your minds and in and through your minds. And conclusion, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. In the same way we've shared the earthly attributes and earthly ideals and the earthly way of doing things now Paul encourages us to share the heavenly attitude when he goes on to say as was the former of dust so also the, are those who are made of dust and as is, is the heavenly man so also those who are heavenly and as we have borne the image of the man of dust we should also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So the battle of this younger son and older son is the battle that we face every day. Who is going to prevail? There was a, there's an old Indian fable story that goes like this. One of the old chieftains was speaking to the young the youngsters in the tribe and said, in each person there's two wolves, one good and one bad. And one of the young children said, who prevails? And he said, the one you feed. What you feed, you become the outcome of what you feed. And we've got to take responsibility for our, for our own spiritual journey, for our own spiritual wellness. And if you want the divine outcome, put the divine principles in place. How do we get this? By being in the word of God, by worship, by prayers. And I said on Friday, there's three things. If you want to grow spiritually, you've got to put three things in place. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. And you've got to worship. You have to worship. Those three things are your spiritual exercises that make you, empower you. Read your Bible, pray, and worship but once you've read your bible as on the friday and you've prayed and you've worshiped you come to a point that before you read your bible you pray then you read your bible then you worship because prayer gives you more clarity with the things of god that's a preparation it's like driving your car mirror indicator maneuver people often try to maneuver 
but they haven't mirrored and they haven't indicated and they have a crash. You've got to be careful in your spiritual journeys. Put things in place to help you slowly grow and develop yourself in God. You're under construction. God is in the business of reconstructing, building us up. But before he builds us up, he has to take a few things away. The things God doesn't like about us has to be, have to be removed, and God will replace them with some wonderful things, the virtues. He wants to take the passions out, the bad attitude and negativity out of our lives, and put the good qualities, the virtues into our lives. Praise God. And I just want to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and show you what's important. And we're going to close coming prayer and take our communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. We just make a noise. It's that the old man is just manifest. If there's no love, we're just reverting back to old ways. Because it's a selfish kind of attitude, a selfish kind of existence. The old man, all it is is me, 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 grab, 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 me, myself and I, the unholy trinity. And it's the love that changes everything. And love is, is actually defined and translated in, in terms of God's presence in our lives. When God is in our lives, we can move in the love of God and overcome any obstacle. And verse 2 says this. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but not have love, I am nothing. It's amazing that if you can prophesy and you can move mountains, and you have knowledge, and all these things, people think that suffices, that's enough, look at me, I'm prophesying, I'm doing all these things, but Jesus comes to a point and says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because the law is fulfilled in love, and we need his love to really establish us, we do everything from love, and then verse 3 says this, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I Give my body to be burned, but have not love, I, it profits me nothing. And as I said earlier on, it's as Cain gave his offering to God, it's the way he gave it. It wasn't the amount he gave. The, it's not more you give, God is more gratified by you. Some people, the more you give them, the more happy, the more they're friend, the more they respond to you in a positive way. God is not man that he should behave in that way. God it does everything from a place of righteousness and virtue. You can't buy God. You cannot influence God. You cannot manipulate God. So it's not how much you give. You can give everything you say. But if you're doing it without love, there's no profit to it. You do it in the right way. So it's not the amount. It's the quality, the way you do it that is pleasing to God. And I want to take these lessons, life lessons for us, because they spill over into every aspect area of life. Because with God with you and God in your corner, you can overcome everything. But if God is absent, when the going gets tough, who's going to be there to hold you up and to help you through things? And there's, tr there's a true living God. I can, I can attest to that from my own personal experiences. So don't neglect. Don't neglect what God has for us. God has your best intentions at heart. And Amos chapter 5, verse 22, finally, I want to just finish on these few verses. 21, verse 21. He says, again, the word, I hate. Memisiga, the Greek word is memisiga. He says, I despise your feast days, he says. I do not savour your sacred assemblies. He says, well, you can gather together, do whatever you want. But if you're doing it in the wrong way, if there's no humility, no sacrifice, no love flowing around, you're just getting together, having a concert, a social event. 
For me to be a peer in the midst of that, you have to do it with humility, with love, genuinely. And verse 2, he says this. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Again, you can't buy God. He's not a man. It's not the world world system. He says, uh, offering, I will not accept them. Can you imagine? You're giving something to because I'm not accepting it. But you accepted this, yeah, because he gave it in a different way. (laughs) Or she gave it in a different way. Abel gave it in a different way. Yeah? Nor will I regard your... your fattened peace offerings. Verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your song. He doesn't want to even see her songs. He doesn't want us performing. He wants us worshipping. He wants us praising. Yeah, praising from the depth of the heart. It says God inhabits the praises of his people. Yeah? But to be his people, that's his qualification to be his people. You need to let go of the old and come into the new. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Not follow our own imaginations, not our way, his way. And that's the only way, really. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. So let's do it with a heart, with humility, with genuineness. God is not fake. He wants genuineness. Verse 24. But let justice, let's, we're coming here now, we're coming, we're getting there. Run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's the attitude to have, being a just person. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is what Jesus teaches himself. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. Whatever we want in life is the byproduct of this attitude to follow him in righteousness. And everything we need will be added unto us. This is the God. This is the mandate of God. This is the instruction of God. This is the word of God. This is the revelation of God. That we embrace that and act accordingly. So I pray today, less of me, more of him. Get rid of the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. Let let that be our prayer today. Let's stand together. Praise God. Out with the old, in with the new. Praise God.